You're listening to PodcastJuice.net. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to PodcastJuice.net. This is the Prince Podcast, and today I'm joined by Big Sexy and Sack. How are you, sir? Oh, man. Relaxing on Saturday morning, ready to go. All right. Also, we have Mr. Ant Poo. How are you? Uh, I actually left the desert to come back to L.A., and it's pouring rain. Ooh, sucks. And Mr. Sean Hill. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Let the rain come down. Let the rain come down. All right. So today on the Prince Podcast, we're going to talk about some of the current things going on in the Prince world. We're also going to have a discussion of what is our best non-Prince related concerts. And we're also going to talk about Prince in the year 1982 which I call the first dynasty. So we'll get into that. But first, the first thing I want to make sure we all are aware of out there in the podcast land is that Prince is going to be taking over the Arsenio Hall show this coming Wednesday, which I believe is the 5th, March the 5th, 2014. So we are all going to be watching that very closely. I'm very sure. Um, I will say this to Arsenio, like, man, in the last month or so i've only watched it on youtube but he's really starting to ramp up it seems like the different types of guests he has he's again to me created his own little lane because there's a lot of other shows to watch and now he's gonna have prince which would you know brings back memories of the classic arsenio prince performances i'm very excited for this uh guys what do you think yeah, I'm I'm ready for it. I I still watch the uh, the Diamonds and Pearls show on, on a regular basis that he did on our city hall. So, I hope uh, I hope he does a mix of new stuff, old stuff, and I hope he does the whole show and not just you know a quick little performance and and he's out. I hope he does the whole show. Well, you know he ain't talking. I hope he does. I hope this time he does. What the third time coming on here? Yeah, it'll be third. Well, he talks on all the other shows. <laughs> Well, I'm hoping it's whack because my homegirl, she had a VIP ticket access for a lot of those uh, Paramount Studios talk shows. And she was like, yeah, yeah, come on. I know you like Prince. Come on, Anthony, let's go do this. We're going to go. I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. I'm going to go. Then I find out that it's filming Tuesday at 5 o'clock. And I have a mandatory 2 p.m. meeting at Konami. So, damn it. (laughs) Hey. I was like, ah, oh, man, you killing me. You better jump on the phone virtual meeting. <laughs> <laughs> Conference. There you go. Yeah. But yeah, so we're looking forward to that. Um, we're also looking for, I don't know if it's made its way to the States yet, but there is supposedly a very good Prince interview in uh, the upcoming Mojo magazine out of the UK. And uh, we're starting to see little trinkets of information come out of this. Um, before I say that, let me throw this because I know I'll forget it. There's a I saw another article this morning that Prince um, has in, had invited some of his music insider buddies, so you know, for better word, L.A. Reid was apparently there, and he uh, played them the album, and you know, they all had drinks and just kind of kicked it, uh, and it sounded like that went pretty well. So definitely starting to get that album out there, getting it ready to be released. But in this new uh, Article online, this is the website, uh, list.co.uk. It talks about Prince. It says Prince sacked bass player. (laughs) (laughs) 
And it goes on to say, let me, let me pull this up here. It says Prince sacked his old bass player because he didn't know enough songs and Ida Nelsa was able to learn more from him. Uh, it says the Purple Rain hitmaker who continues to excite fans with the number of gigs in the UK decided to get rid of the musician when he met Ida Nelson, who later joined his all-girl band, Third Eye Girl. He says, quote, My old bass player, who shall remain nameless, didn't know as many songs as Ida. Uh, throwing some shade there. Uh, she had to learn 150, I guess, songs to get the gig, and she did it. So I sacked my old bass player. <laughs> That's kind of interesting for him to say something like that about another musician, but... Uh, I don't think he actually used the word sacked, but... I hope not. It's, it's like, he's going hard on people. Uh, right, I'm going to give him the sack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he also tells uh, Mojo Magazine, uh, when I first saw a clip of Donna, which is Donna Gratis, he says, what struck me was her hair. I figured that anyone who ain't afraid to walk into the supermarket with that haircut ain't going to be afraid of me. And the guitarist goes on to describe, this is Donna, she says, the guitarist described Princess Paisley Park Studios in Minneapolis as a, quote, parallel universe where time stops existing and touring with the singer can be demanding. She goes on to say, you know how doctors are always on call because their paper buzzes, their pager buzzes when they have to head to the hospital and go do surgery? That's what being in Princess Band is like. The phone can go at any minute. It can be hard if you let it get to you. But at this stage in our lives, we couldn't ask for more. Um, so, again, this is pulled from the Mojo interview. Uh, any, any comments on this? I got to pick that up because I went to the Mojo webpage. And in that issue, there's also an interview with Paul Stanley from Kiss, who I'm a big fan of. So, and on the cover it says this is Prince's only interview. And... It's supposed to be really in depth, so I'm really interested. I gotta go. I gotta track it down today because, Mike, you said it was at Barnes and Noble. I'll start there. Yeah, I think you can order it off of the website too. I, I believe. Oh, if I can order it, let me just do that. Yeah. What, what was it she said about Paisley Park? What time? You're in another world. A time standstill. Something time, like yeah, that. Yeah. Parallel universe. Uh, time stops existing. Am I the only one on the panel that's been to Paisley Park? Oh, I hate you. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> okay. That that is a true assessment of, of Paisley Park. Uh, it is, you know, in the uh, in the Emancipation booklet where it has those different pictures of hallways and stuff like that. That's what it looks like on the inside. It, it's 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 an amazing place to be. That, 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 but yeah, she she accurately captured that. I can tell you that one hundred percent. Yeah, so it's it's interesting. I can imagine being a musician and working for Prince. It. it it seems like it would be demanding. Like I can imagine he's not joking around. You got to be on point. And I, I, I wonder, does he be cutting them? Like what? Why? Well, I, I shouldn't wonder. I'm probably sure he does. Like, what do you mean? You ain't got that. Like, what are you doing? You know, I would imagine the pressure is like to perform. And this is Prince, you know, and you already come in with this whole thing. Like this guy's got to be a master. And, you know, uh, you really need to be confident and, tough-skinned and know your shit because i'm sure you'd be the first one to point some shit out to you like, oh yeah yeah what, what the fuck are you doing what was that well, what's just- that classic thing that he says on one of those booths put the mag fucking magazine down and play a part <laughs> <laughs> hilarious 
what was like when I was talking about on the other show about the sound check experience I had where he, you know, would just pick up on the little things, you know, tells about, okay, play it this way. And then they play it again. And I'm like, I don't hear any difference, <laughs> you know, but right. he's got that ear and, and can, can definitely tell the difference. Yeah. And well, then being on call, but well, go ahead. Hello. Well, my thing is, is, uh, Regarding the uh, sacking the bass player, I need to know how you become a musician and you don't know enough Prince songs to play. I, I need to know more context to that because I think it was just songs in general. I don't think it it wasn't specifically Prince songs, was it? Well, it doesn't say, but if you look at you know, of course, his set list, and he always says they know hundreds of songs that they can go into at any given moment. That's a lot to to know them and then to play them well, right? I, I can imagine that's not, everybody ain't built for that. Yeah. You know? Oh, no, yeah, definitely. And the thing is, if, you know, there's an article or an interview that Jimmy and Terry did and Jimmy said, look, Prince will come in and play your instrument better than you will. Yeah. So you better be prepared. You better know the songs. Yeah. Exactly. Be prepared. How do you audition for Prince and honestly not know all of his songs? Backwards, backwards, or at least forwards. all of the hit songs that you know he plays in his concerts. Exactly. Yeah, it's you know, there's that was that classic, uh, and if I ever get the chance to interview uh, Quest Love, I want to really ask him in depth about of this. But there's that classic story when Quest and, and uh, D'Angelo went to Paisley Park. You know, uh, they were doing a show in Minneapolis, and they met with Prince, and they started to jam together. And you know, D'Angelo did not know you know the current Prince music. You know, Prince was sort of like, he only wanted to play that. And he was sort of chastising, sort of like, like how you not, you don't know what you're doing. How do you not know I hate you or whatever it was, you know, during the late 90s. And how do you was, not know was, so far so pleased? Right. Oh. And it was like to the point where D'Angelo <laughs> said, you know, F this, man. I leave. You know, I'm not, this guy is, <laughs> is my hero. And I'm like, fucking, he's just blasting me. So I'm not going to do it. So I can imagine, like, he, go, he can go hard on a person, I'm sure, if you want, you know. Well, musicians are like that. <clears throat> I like that. I've seen a lot of rock shows. In fact, there's a a Sammy Hagar concert that I was at once years ago, and he's playing a solo and he's doing dueling solos <clears throat> with his lead guitarist. And at one point, he said, "You know, Gary, you want to keep your job? You better keep up." I'm like, "Whoa, okay." So a lot of these a lot of these lead musician types, you know, they know what they want to hear, and if you can't produce that, they will find someone who can. Yeah. Yeah, it's just interesting that he, if, if he in fact did say sacked, and I again, I don't, I don't think he said sacked, baby. Yeah, I'm curious to what brought that conversation on. Like, you know, so that's just interesting to me. <laughs> All right, um, moving right along. So the other thing we want to talk about, one of the main topics today is our favorite concert experiences. Other than Prince, you know, there's a lot of musicians, a lot of bands out there that we've all had a chance to check out. Um, and I know there's been some great times. So we're going to do that. And if we want, we could do either one or two. Um, I, I have I have two. So I'm going to start with my first one here and then I'll go to somebody else. So the first concert that I purely enjoyed um, and I would put it up there as one of the better concerts I've ever been to was... I think it was in 1995 or 96. It was the uh, Brown Sugar Tour. Oof. Uh, it was D'Angelo, and he played at the Showbox, which is a place here in Seattle. It's sort of a smaller 
or actually a very smaller type of place, which I'd seen Prince there last year. But this was uh, D'Angelo, and this was his album had been out, uh, you know, a few months or so, and I knew uh, Brown Sugar was a big hit, and I had the album, but I wasn't playing it as much, and I was kind of starting to play a little bit, and I just heard he was going to be here. I said, you know, let me let me go ahead and check this out, you know, just curious to see what it's going to be about, and I went by myself. And I don't know if it was sold out or anything because I don't remember it being like super packed or anything. But when I go there and uh, D'Angelo comes on and I know nothing about him. You know, I've just seen the video. Right. And he goes to start the show. And immediately the music, I was like, ah, shit, this is I'm like, this dude, this is dope. Like, I've never just been to a concert. I've never been to a real R&B show before. Uh one that was good and wasn't like pre-recorded type music. So the band was on point, the singer was on point, and he just he's sitting at his keyboard and he sits there the entire time. And the one thing I was thinking, I was like, this guy is uh I could tell this was like his first tour or something. Like he doesn't seem entirely comfortable or doesn't really understand the stage presence that he could have because he doesn't really interact with the audience that much and he doesn't move. Well, everything that's going on, he's playing his dope as fucking like the singing. And I was sitting there, I was like, this is really good. And I kind of remember like, oh, this is that one song off the album, you know? And I'm like, damn, this sounds way better. Like, And I was sitting here, I said, you know what? This guy has to be fucking a Prince fan. Like, there's no way the harmonies, the way they're constructed and the way he's singing, this would sound like would be what I would imagine Prince would be doing if he did this sort of R&B and it was just like, I, I just, I could see it. And I was like, this guy will be dope if he gets his ass up off of that chair. But this wasn't a remarkable show. Andy Stone was, was there. I didn't know who she was at the time, but she was just a dope vocalist. And I was actually blown away by that concert. And I remember when I left, I was like, I have to sit down and listen to that album. And that's when I really got deep. And I was like, this is my dude. <laughs> like I've never went to this was the first show I ever went to well the second show I ever went to that I didn't know much about the person I was going to see and I walked away from it like I'm a fan for life like this is uh, you know it was like one of those mo- you know, I was moved by the performance and just the music and then when I went back and listened to the album again I got it all I was like okay this is that freaking dude this is the next dude if he can learn more in terms of you know stage presence which he ends up going to on to doing. But I said the, this was the second concert where I went and I didn't know much about the person. The first concert I went that I didn't know much about the guy was Prince and the Purple Rain concert. Like I only knew what I saw in the movie and the bits and pieces that I heard, but I wasn't a hardcore fan at all. But when I walked away from that Purple Rain concert, I was my mouth was on the floor. I was like, this is the freaking dude. I, I was a heavy Michael Jackson dude. So I, when I saw that, I was like, there's nothing, I, it's like I was over. So I felt like that with D'Angelo. That Brown Sugar concert that I saw just blew me a fucking away. And I got to see him another time, you know, for the voodoo. And that was, that blew me away as well for different reasons. But for the first time, you know, you get that first look, I, I was like, wow. Uh, it was a, a head buster moment for me. So that was my uh, one. Um, big sexy, go ahead. Man, when, when this email was sent out and, you know, this question was 
brought up. I came up with three right off the top of my head, but you know, I'll narrow it down to two. Uh, the first being Ohio Players 1975 Circle Star Theater in San Carlos, California. Wow. This was right after the Fire album came out, and my mom and her friend June took you know me and my sister and June's two boys, and we all got dressed up because back in the day, when you go to the concert, you know this wasn't like T-shirts and bullshit. Yeah, you, you had to get clean. So speak on that. Little, speak speak on that for a little bit because that's that's lost now. Unless you're going oh, to see Smokey Robinson or somebody. Exactly. You know, <laughs> you, got, you know nowadays. Uh, so many, and a lot of it is the venue too, because the Circle Star was really a dress-up place. So it wasn't like we're going to the Cow Palace or the Oakland Coliseum. And so, you know, I have a little leisure suit on. Oh, you couldn't tell me. Oh, yeah, I was rocking the leisure suit. And the cool thing about the Circle Star was the stage was in the round. And if you're on a certain aisle, that's where the bands would come down. And so we're sitting on the aisle, and I have no idea. I have my little, my little cheap Kodak camera. And the opening band was the Earth Rockers, but the leader of the Earth Rockers, and I found this out years later, was Buddy Miles, who played with Hendrix. So I thought, that's cool. But then the the band comes out, the Ohio players come out, and they run down the aisle right by me. Sugar shook my hand, and in his left hand, he's holding his wig on. And <laughs> it was great. It was great. I get on the stage, and I like self-contained bands. I never liked bands that were things like the OJs or the spinners where you got the four or five guys dancing but no one's playing anything you know the Ohio players they all played and they all sang and they went through their catalog and I was just blown away it, it wasn't that loud you know considering I was so young but I was just loving it and I thought I'm going to learn to play double neck guitar if it kills me you know I wanted to be sugar in the worst possible way and that just, you know, made me a music guy from that point forward. I mean, it was the first show I ever went to, and I loved it, and I go to concerts as much as I can now because of that one show. Man, I wish I could have saw them cats. Yeah. <laughs> All oh, right. Man, they were great. All right, uh, Sean Hill. All right. Uh, my first one is uh, Erica Badu, The Mama's Gun. It wasn't a tour. I may be cheating here a little bit. It was her performance at Paisley Park. Uh, during the the 2001 celebration, uh, I had I hadn't I was a fan, of course, uh, from uh, Baduism, but just at the time I hadn't bought uh, Mama's Gun yet. I think it'd been out maybe a month or two uh, before I saw the show. And you know, typically when you go to a concert, you usually know the songs, and it, it usually helps the concert going experience if you know the songs. Her performances were so good. I felt the power of those songs without knowing the lyrics to them. Uh, Bag Lady, she did that. She did a riff with um, on that. She did uh, Tyrone, which of course was from the first album. But she did a, she she did that in a mix with. Uh, uh, Freddie's Dead, which it sounds crazy, <laughs> but she made it work. Uh, Pen- uh, what is it? Uh, Penitentiary Philosophy, uh, which Prince came out and played guitar on. Um, I mean, she was solid from from start to finish. And the first thing I did when I got back to San Diego was I went and bought Mama's Gun. She just she just tore up that stage. And like I said, she you know put her heart and soul into those songs. And like I, I felt the power of them again. Like I said, without even 
even knowing him and, and was probably able to sing along to him without even knowing it. You know, she's just one of those artists that, I mean, she doesn't play anything, but, but she, she brings you into the show. And I know with it being at Paisley park, it was a little bit more intimate than maybe, her, you know, a normal show. And I was fairly close to the stage and, but you could just, you could just feel it. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a magical night too. And, uh, common had opened for, and they were dating at the time. So that was kind of cool too. So that, that's my first experience, first great concert going experience. All right. And it's, uh, interesting. I interviewed, or I know, uh, one of the background <laughs> singers at that show, her name was, um, Yazra, Yazra St. James. And, and we talked about that performance because you know she, that was her first time going to Paisley Park, and she met Prince, and, and she just watched. She told me she said, "Prince is militant." She said, "That's all I want to tell you." She's like, "He was militant," but uh, yeah, I heard that was a good uh, performance. Yeah, and it was cool when Prince came out. He just he just walked out playing. The song had already started. He walked out. He just played a little bit, and then he just turned around and, and left. And it was just like, okay, that was kind of weird, <laughs> kind of <laughs> random. He didn't even interact with her at all. He just just came out and played and. And left. So. All right, Sean. I mean, I'm sorry, Sean. And Poop. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of embarrassed at my first uh, concert <laughs> experience. Don't say it was so, Barney on Ice or something. Oh, <laughs> I love you. No, it was uh, Boy George and Culture Club. Oh, okay. shit. Hey, if it's in yeah. the 80s, I'm Wait, with it. Yeah, yeah, it was back then. Go ahead. I'll come before you. I can't remember the, uh, I think the year had to have been 86 or 87. I can't even remember the uh, venue. But, yeah, uh, my aunt, God rest her soul, she got me into uh, Boy George. And that, that boy could, uh, that dude could uh, flow. He had a voice on him. Too bad he let the uh, hair on and get to him. Um, it was a pretty decent concert that I can remember. I was 9 or 10 at the time. <laughs> but my first real concert, I'm going to go with that, was the Rock the Bells concert. At Ooh. the uh, Anaheim uh, Stadium in uh, well in Anaheim, it was a uh, it was about a four or five hour show with all these um, up and coming underground hip hop artists that was headlined by a tribe called Quest and uh, Cypress Hill. The main one I remember is is that was the same day that uh, Odori Bastard from the Wu Tang Clan had passed away. So you know I'm sitting here waiting. It's about nine thirty, and I'm like, damn. Well, Tribe Called Quest, get on the freaking stage already. We all we all here for you. Can you come on stage? And not only did we still stand around waiting for them, but with the first time we hear them, they're off stage. But at least Q-Tip, he did a cappella, um, Old Dirty Bastards, uh, Brooklyn Zoo. And then they came out and did all of their all, all of their hits from a war tour. Um, all of them. And the low end theory, all of them. And I was just blown away that these... Hip-hop cats from the late 80s, early 90s, they know how to put on a performance. Yeah, yeah. They, they, that's what they did. Now it's all done in the studio, and, and they don't even – half of them don't even tour. Uh, by the way, if you, got, if you uh, haven't seen their documentary, which I, I can't think of the name of it. Beats, uh, Rhymes, Life. Yes, that. See it. It's excellent. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I used to own um, – they had put out a home video release of their first tour – Right, right after the first album had dropped. I mean, I used to have them on VHS. Those, those are always dope. 
All right, so now we're going to our second one. So my second one is uh, Bootsy Collins. It was uh, another small club that is now closed in Seattle called the Rock Candy. And this was like 1984, I believe he came. And he actually came with Rubber Band Band and and Barney Royale, if I'm saying his name right, was there as well. Now, I had not been a super, I I didn't know a lot about Bootsy at that point. I've heard some of the main songs. But I had never had the albums or anything. And of course, I had never seen him live before. And I was going with another musician friend who was like, dude, you got to check this out. Um, this is, you, you trust me. I said, hey, okay. So we went. And this was a predominantly a rock per, uh, venue. You know, small rock shows would be here. So here's, here comes Bootsy. So I go into this not knowing too much about it. And Bootsy, the easiest way I can say it, he took it to church. It reminded me of church spiritually and musically, but funked out, you know, where I really got my first taste of, you know, I, I would say this, you know, I've seen these Prince performances where he'd be on the bass, you know, the one-eyed bass, and burp, 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 but that ain't got nothing. <laughs> when you see a master like Bootsy, when he get up there and doing it, I was blown away. I, I was like, who is this guy? Like, I've heard of this, but I had no idea. It was just like, you just didn't know. And I was blown away. And the music was just so funky. And, you know, I know all these things now. It was on the one. And they jammed. They jammed harder than any concert I've ever been to in my entire life. Like, they may not be all of the, the super great songs that I like from Prince and stuff. But in terms of a concert, like in real jamming and just going hard, that was incredible. They shut that place down. I was drenched in sweat. I was dancing. I mean, it the whole place, it was a smaller place. That whole place was done. And then uh, like Bernie Royal, he did his whole keyboard stuff. And they were playing like now I know knee deep and all this. When you hear them things live <laughs> and the real dudes is playing it. It's they played knee deep. Over. They did everything. Whoa. And I was just like, God damn. And then there's a point in the show where Bootsy, I mean, it was literally like church to me. It was He was like a preacher or something. Like he just came out and, and he was, um, he jumped down in the audience because it was, it was just a standing room only type of thing. And he just walked through. I mean, this, you know how Bootsy looked. He was drenched in sweat. <laughs> And it was the music was banging. He just walked around and he was in like a fever pitch sort of state. And he just went to people and just hugged them. Like when he would, you know, (laughs) hug and it was just the embrace. And he came over to where I was. I hugged him. And I I mean, I was ready to just give all up. Like, like I feel like I was being baptized, man. It was just incredible. And I was, and I became a hard fan after that. I mean, I, it changed me. I was like, "This is that shit that I've heard about. This is as close to the James, to the P Funk, you know, in the hate. Like, it was all of that, and at least had one little experience to see what that was, and to have greater uh, appreciation for what I can see. Prince was is doing or was trying to do, you know, during Purple Rain days and different things. I said, okay. I understand now when I hear the albums, I get it because here was the basically like the older Seth, uh, you know, he's like Qui-Gon and Yoda 
Mace Windu, the Jedi Council, decided, you know what, let's go get active for a little bit. Let's go on the front lines and show them one last time what the fuck this thing is about. And that's what it felt like to me. But they blew out everybody. So that was my top, even better than any Prince performance I've ever seen. Like that was a religious performance to me. So, uh, big sexy, go ahead. Wow. Well, <clears throat> wait, I'm getting an echo. Oh, you lost it. Cool. Uh, again, I have so many to choose from. I'm going to go back into the 70s again <clears throat> because uh, this was a time that, you know, you uh, learn about who you are as a teenager and, and whatnot. Uh, 1978, Kiss, Dynasty Tour, Count Palace, San Francisco, California. Stood in line all day with my buddies. And this was a type of show, Kiss unbeknownst to me at the time was really becoming a little more family friendly and we didn't notice that but we all were there together minus moms and, and, and dad and we got to the show and I remember the, watching the opening act from standing on the floor the opening act was UFO didn't know who they were they stunk but I looked to my I'm, I'm about 20 feet back from the stage so I'm, I'm in a good, good standing position I look to my left I see a little you know a girl She's looking at me. I'm looking at her. I motion her. I said, come over here. And she cuts through the crowd, stands right in front of me, booty all up against my happy oh, area. Oh, shit. I'm like, okay, this, this can get good here. <laughs> and so Kiss comes out, you know, and I, I had been a Kiss, still a Kiss fan. First time I'd ever seen them. And they go through the whole show, blowing up stuff. Uh, at one point, Paul Stanley, the lead, you know, the lead singer, throws a towel out into the crowd and I was like Dennis Rodman on a rebound. <laughs> I'm boxing people out. I'm like, like, I got this. And I got my got my big butt up in the air, just pulled it down. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's what's up. And after the show, you know, me and this lady or young lady, we started getting into a little bit. I'm like, okay, this is all right. This is all right. To this day, I do not know her name. It was so cool. <laughs> well, may, maybe she she hear the show and and get in contact. Oh boy! You know, because we're 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 making out all over the you know back you know behind you know when you have a a concert on the you know you're on the floor you see the mixing stand and we're behind the mixing stand you know just all into it. I'm like, yeah, this is all right, this is okay. But <laughs> it was cool because it was the first time I'd gone to the, to a concert without my mom. And I'm I'm kind of on my own with with my boys, and we were responsible for getting, you know, over to San Francisco and back back in Oakland, and it was just great because the show, I mean, you have the pyro, you have the things blowing up, and just the way they would, each character would take over the crowd, it was really really something to see, and um, again, I just I just love going to concerts. I, I loved it. Now that, that's something I'll always carry with me. Man, show booty. Got to. <laughs> All right, Sean Hill, what's your second one? All right, you, you took my thunder, Mike, a little bit. Uh, my second is D'Angelo's Voodoo Tour. Ah, yeah. Uh, I didn't get to see the parade show, but I think that's probably the closest day that I'll ever get to, to seeing it, and you'll probably agree with, with me on that. Um, it was, again, phenomenal from the word go. 
this cat's energy level was through the roof. Uh, the band was tight. Anthony Hamilton at the time was was one of the background singers. Uh, Quest Love on the drums. Uh, Shelby was the other background singer. Uh, yes, right. Shelby, you're right. You're right. Um, uh, open up with uh, Devil's Pie behind the curtain, kind of like uh, Prince did on Parade with uh, Around the World in a Day. Uh, open up about midway through. He's got on his wife beater. And, and the leather black uh, pants, and they just go into a a funk review for like they riffed on Devil's Pie for like fifteen minutes. I mean, they just went on and on, and and I forget what the next. I, I mean, of course, he only had the two albums, and but every song was a hit. There was never a time where you go, oh, okay, he's doing this one. No, every. Every song, and I think the highlight of the show, and and you saw the tour too, right, Mike? I did, yes. Okay, so I don't know if you agree with me, but the highlight for me was uh, "Shit, Damn, Motherfucker." Uh, okay. <laughs> and, and let me tell you, he changed that song from the smooth, laid-back vibe that it is on the album to a Bobby head, head banging, mm-hmm. break shit. He jumped out in the audience in our show and was like thrashing with people in the front row. He ran through the crowd. He was like, you know, I won't say hitting people, but you know how like, you know, the punk rockers do when they, you know, they get into it. He got back on stage. He was breaking the mic stand. And I mean, it was just, you could feel like the energy just, just flying through the air. I mean, and I'm like, is this the end? Is this, the end? I'm thinking this is like, that's like a climax of most shows. And this was like the fifth song in, um, again, they did a lot of jamming. They did a uh, Brown sugar and that was led into this big, long 20 minute jam. And they actually riffed on a, it's going to be a beautiful night mm-hmm. too. They did like kind of the movie version where, you know, where, uh, uh, Bonnie, one more, that thing they, they did that. And so, yeah, and I, I later read that, uh, they did kind of fashion the show after the parade tour as far as just kind of loose. Uh, they had a set list, but it could change at any time. It was heavy on the improv, heavy on the horns. But, yeah, that, that show was great. I always tell people that is by far the best show that I've seen non-Prince ever. Yeah, uh, just to add on to that, that concert was the parade tour, <laughs> basically. <laughs> it was if a hip-hop person... If a person who grew up on hip hop and was a heavy Prince fan and literally you could see that they studied those bootleg videos yes, and said, we're going to I, my mannerism, everything that we do, the timing, the direction of the band, all you could you, to me, it's just so obvious. Like this motherfucker is heavy Prince. Like, you know, it's ridiculous. Um, I would agree. That is, in my opinion, that band. And that tour at that time, I would still say is the, there has never been an R&B tour. You want to even just pigeon into R&B. There's never been another tour that has been as good as that on that level by anybody, even Prince, in my opinion. I, I would agree. There's just everything was in sync. That band is ridiculous. Everyone in there was the coldest dude. Again, they weren't the best players like if you, you know, like a prince is now he has the best sort of not one third I grow but when he has like some of the best players ever but they were the best playing together and they were hungry as fuck and everybody in there has something to prove and they 
again, they're doing their interpretations of Prince. They're doing interpretations of P-Funk. They're doing their interpretations of Jay Dilla. Like a lot of the interludes and the different things that they're playing were actually Jay Dilla beats, but they're playing yeah. them, right? Yeah. So yeah. they were doing hip hop, R&B, jazz, funk, all of that at such a high level. And D'Angelo had learned that stage presence that he didn't have on that yes. first tour. And yeah. he was the man. Like he had it at the palm of his hands. I wish he could have kept that together. It would have been the greatest thing ever. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Yeah. All right, uh, Ant Hill, bring us home. Um, unfortunately, I haven't been to that many non-Prince concerts, so I'm going to go with uh, the third concert I've ever, the third non-Prince concert I've ever been, which was Snoop Dogg's uh, Malice in Wonderland album release party slash concert. I know you're probably giving me the side on him. I have <laughs> but he had Travis Barker on stage playing the drums. And I'm looking at this going, like, how the hell are they going to make this work? How are you going to have a musician, one musician on stage, and he's playing the drums, and most of your tracks have, you know, this bass and guitar stuff in it? That just, does, that just doesn't make any sense. Damn it, I can never doubt Snoop Dogg. And Travis Barker played the played the heck out of those drums. They were doing uh, Gin and Juice. They were doing uh, What's My Name. They were doing Drop It Like It's Hot, which if you haven't heard it with a live drummer, you, then damn it, you don't know what you're missing out on. And Snoop, for somebody, as he's gotten uh, close to his 40s, he knows how to rock his stage presence. He knows how to actually put together a set list, which some of you rappers out there, y'all need to learn the lost art of putting together a live performance set list because everything built onto each other. And at the end of the night, when he was like, you know, I know exactly what I want to hit. Oh, my bad. I'm sorry. I forgot. He had cameos as well. He got Pharrell to come out on stage. So you have Pharrell singing in high falsetto, Beautiful, drop us like it's hot, and uh, what was the name of that song? Oh, you fronting over Travis Barker drum beats. And then when he gets to the end of the night, which at this point I'm just tired as hell. I'm actually there because I'm working, but it still was a hell of a concert. Um, he goes, oh, I know how to end this, right? I know exactly what gangster shit I need to put on right now. And he does, and the opening chords of Gin and Juice hit, the crowd that kind of dialed down lost their mind. <laughs> it was just, it was incredible you know everybody people were drunk people were high but gin and juice brought everybody back into it and it was like okay yeah yeah this thing was dope and that was the best rap show i've ever been to i mean i've only been to three but still i've heard about the jay-z's and the kanye west but damn it snoop dogg in a small club over a travis barker uh drum a performance with pharrell coming off a cameo that was awesome well, uh, he has uh, Travis has an album. It's called "Give the Drummer Some." So uh, check it out. It's, it's actually pretty good. And it, Snoop's on there. A lot of rappers. So yeah, he he's definitely got street cred, so to speak. All right, there we go. So those were our, some of our top two non-Prince concerts that we've been to. And I would implore anybody if you are a fan of music, one thing that we can all probably admit that isn't lost on the game now is going to see live music like there's nothing like going to see live music whoever you're into um it, it's a totally different experience and like i said if you, if you go on a really good show you damn near be a spiritual experience for you 
uh, you, you might get some show booty. Uh, you, 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 might, <laughs> you might hear some great music, whatever it is, but you, you just have to do that. I mean, that's the part of music that you're just not going to get from listening to some headphones or watching it on TV or whatever. Got to yeah. be there in the, in the, you know, physically. Uh, I would just, I would just throw in here, I'm not going to go into it, but a runner-up would have been uh, Rafael Sadiq. Um, was it the way I see it album tour? Ugh. <laughs> I was a bitch at that show. Cause, <laughs> I mean, I was a, such a fan of that album at that time. So I knew every freaking song, every little grunt and lyric and chord change. And I literally bum rushed to the front of that place and stood right in front of them. And they rocked the fuck out of that. But anyway. Now, Mike, you're a big Raphael Sadiq fan, right? Yes. You know he's touring with Tony, Tony, Tony again. Yeah, bullshit. Really? No, no. They're playing here on June 14th because one of my clients is a promote is the promoter for the show, and they're on the same bill with Salt and Pepper. Salt, 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 and salt. And you're sure it's Rafael Sadiq is going to be there? It's Tony, 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 man. All three of them, yeah. Well, no, Tony, Tony, Tony has been touring for years without Raphael Sadiq. Yeah, I saw him last year, and it wasn't. Oh, yeah, that's what I said. And I know they've done shows oh. with Salt and Pepper before, so it would well, be. Let me a make sh- a call there before I, you know, talk out of my hat. Okay, yeah. Because if it's not Raphael, I'm not going to use my influence to get backstage. Yeah, no, he is not. And again, that would be such huge news. But yeah, he hasn't toured with them in years. He left that group, and oh, because the picture sucks. has him on it. I'm sure that picture probably no, does. <laughs> the, the cat, no, the dude that they got, he looks like him. He looks and sounds like him because we were like debating when we saw him. It's like, is that him? We kept going back and forth, but no, we ultimately found out it wasn't him. That's bullshit. Okay, yeah. I ain't going. I wish they would, Tordy. <laughs> you know that just reminds me. I actually saw Ralph, Excuse me. I actually did go to a Tony 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 concert uh, when feels good. The revival album. They came here to Seattle. I went to that show. That show was dope. I mean, that was the original members. That was, yeah, me and uh, actually my good friend, um, Lene. We went to that show. She just posted a picture. She's with uh, Arsenio a couple days ago. (laughs) Crazy. But, yeah, we went to see that show. That was was sort of their version of Sign of Times in terms of the stage and everything. I was really blown away that they had went that they were able to be that big at that time. You know, I love that song, but I hate the rap that got stuck in the middle of it. Oh, that's my man from Thug Life. (laughs) Uh, He's foul, man. But, uh, all right, so moving on, um, we're going to get into some Prince talk here. Hold on one second. Okay, sorry about that. All right, so I wanted to talk about Prince and the year 1982. And there's a reason why I want to talk about that. As I said in the, at the beginning, I sort of think that that is like the first dynasty. This is the first time where we see the kingdom of Prince. And it's not just about him. He's got these other groups and they come out as a movement pretty much. And so I want to start it by saying, you know, first you have like Vanity Six. And uh, they had their, you know, their first album. I'm trying to see when their album came out here. Um, their first album drops. Why is this so difficult to, to, to see this now? Hilarious. Here we go. Uh, well, the first album had, of course, Nasty Girl. Their only album, I should say. 
Uh, I don't. I can't find the release date. I, I've had this here. Here it is. Uh, April, August the eleventh of eighty two. So this is, you know, putting it putting it down. And of course, Nasty Girl. It came out. Big hit. I remember hearing that on the radio, and I remember it was like back then. You know, stuff was taboo. Like you couldn't. I couldn't even say the word funky at my house without damn near catching the belt. So here's this song on the radio. And I remember my mom, we were driving down the freeway and it came on and she was like ready to turn that off. Like this was the most offensive thing ever to her. But it was like undeniably like, this shit is good. Like, I mean, it was like, God damn. I had no idea it was anything to do with Prince. Uh, Next up, we have The Time, which comes back out again. And their album drops August the 25th, which is only a few weeks, if that, right? And, you know, they got The Walk, 777-9311, which for a long time to me, that song itself was probably the illest thing I had ever heard. Like, damn, who makes something like that? You know, it's nasty. So that was killing them. And then... August, excuse me, October 27th, the same year, the 1999 album drops. And this is Prince, and it's a double album. And I was not a Prince fan at this time, but I can only imagine from what I've read. Here's like the gall of this guy to drop a double joint <laughs> and is, you know, preceded with 1999, which I had heard that song. And then, you know, you have Little Red Corvette, which starts to grow and become this big hit and then the videos start to come out and it's crossing over and it's like this is crazy like this guy is just destroying the game now they go on tour with everyone together so you have Vanity 6 The Time and then you have Prince and they are on this tour together and to me that is like Prince has had these previous albums but here's like, you know what? Let me shine. Let me create something that cannot be effed with, that's never been heard before. And again, this is the height of him creating this whole new sound, right? Like the, the Minneapolis sound really sort of gets solidified here where it's like, damn, there's records that have this sound. Everybody want to get this sound. How do you get your shit to sound like that? You know? Um, so let's start to jump around the room a little bit here, but what is that initial sort of 1982, and this flashes into 83 as well. You know, this tour that they have goes on for quite a while. It's probably his longest tour he had at that time. Um, Sean, like, what did, what does this name mean to you? Oh, man. It, it, I, I, I don't even know where to begin. I was uh, 11 years old. Uh, my, my dad was really into to the music, and so I... He had had controversy uh, before, and so he's kind of like me now, or I guess I'm like him. He used to DJ a lot, uh, parties and stuff like that. So he would he would have this stuff. He would have he had uh, this album. He had um, the the Times album. So I was hearing this stuff and just going, "Wow, this is." I mean, I, at 11, I even knew that I'm hearing something that that is just out of the ordinary, um, and ended up being i this was kind of the first tour i went to this tour the triple threat tour uh but yeah you're looking back on it it's like 
now knowing we know that you know Prince was involved in everything, but but back then you know it was the Star Company and Jamie Star and and all of that and the whole mysterious thing and and not knowing and thinking it, but it was it was a great great time. He was on fire. I think this is probably when his run started eighty two to you know probably eighty seven eighty eight, but this was you know kind of the genesis of it. It was as you said the beginning of the Minneapolis sound mixed with a little new wave mixed with a little pop mixed with a little funk. I mean, you put it all in the blender and that's what you came up with. I mean, each, each album has its own identity, uh, you know, separately, but collectively it's all Prince, which, which is still brilliant to this day. And I don't think anybody else could ever pull that off even now. Yeah. And just before I go to, I'm going to go to uh, Ampoo next. I mean, just think of, in terms of the magnitude of the songs, there are songs through these albums that are uh, legendary. Like there are the jams, like they are all, you know, who does 1999 <laughs> DMSR, uh, little red Corvette, uh, lady cab driver, the walk, nasty girl. I mean, all at the same sort of period where it's just, bangers yeah. <laughs> you know what i'm saying like bangers where to the point where you will probably get into where one band that's probably sort of the side thing starts to overshadow the you know the main thing yo yo morris yo <laughs> stop doing them dances man like y'all out there you're too it's too good you know i made this music for y'all and then y'all performing it it's it's kind of outshadowing this a little bit like who else was able to be in that sort of a weird position? Uh, Ant, what did that sort of stuff mean to you? Well, I mean, well, two things. Uh, I just wanted to touch on that you said that The Walk, probably one of the best, under very very underrated songs that he put together for the time. That that song is just killer. Um, when you talk about the, um, the, the live performances, it, it is kind of striking that, um, yeah, when you see those, those uh, triple threat shows, that the time is killing it. They have they they have a swag if you if you want to use that term turn all the way up to a hundred they're just flowing they're just like yeah this isn't our music per se but look at how we bring it to life um, at that time you know I was I was a young in elementary schooler so only thing I was really exposed to was 1999 and Little Red Corvette because I was just watching uh, Casey Kasem's Top 40 every Saturday and that song Little Red Corvette to me was just Nobody was doing anything like that. We, if you see how he was able to just change up the pacing of the song from this so this slow, um, seductive uh, melody to this real hard rocker banger by the midpoint, that that is just amazing. And I just think when you look at the catalog that he put together, uh, Prince is just like that. I don't think any big thing can be touched as far as that production output. Yeah, yeah, you know it's, you funny. Know, it's funny. Oh, we got some e- echo going on there. When you take, uh, you kind of see how in concert, Prince may or may not have perceived the time as a threat. But in terms of the record sales, it wasn't a threat. But it's interesting that depending on where the industry and and, and where we were technology wise, and if if there was a viable. Uh, BET that was able to showcase 
a more of a showcase for the time, how I could have seen they really could have overshadowed him uh, because visibility, I think we all saw Prince more than we saw the time, right? Unless you were in certain markets, you would be like, well, yeah, the time music is dominant because that's just, just straight jams. You yeah. know, the, the 1999 album has jams, but it has all this other stuff as well. And it's very broader picture where theirs is just like, you know, the hit, just, just the funk, <laughs> period, right? And it's stripped of nothing else. And then their show is just the liveliest. You want to have a good time? You ready to jam? Of course, you put them in front of you, they're going to blow it out. Like, the whole thing is just made to be blown out. You can't have no slowdown period because they just it's just woof. But I wonder if they would have been like uh, say like a BT and and if their videos would have been in rotation like 1999 and Little Red Corvette, I could have seen them really have been a threat to him. Where it would have been like, well, you don't even you wouldn't even put that out. Like I would be in disadvantage for him if it was like in uh, after Purple Rain. And if he had never had put the time out and he put them out then with his new stuff, they would blow him out because there would be more of an opportunity for them to shine. And they'd get equal like, whoa, who's not going to want to play Jungle Love? Like, you know, what I mean, like you wouldn't do a tour with that. You'd be you'd be crazy. This like and I know I'm jumping the gun, but if you look at Purple Rain, he would have been a, he would have been. He would have been crazy to let them actually perform the concert because they would have blew him up. It would have been just like in the movie. And unless <laughs> and unless he, you know, again, he's got probably the better stuff or better range. But if it had been just like in that movie, they just going to just do slam, bam, hit, jams after jam. You really, you, you come in there and go, brown, brown, ding, 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 brown, and do purple rain. To me, it didn't work in the movie. And it sure wouldn't have worked in no stadium. But like, why is he playing that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, man, they shut it down. What are you doing? Now, so, go ahead. Correct me from there were no promotional videos for the Times album, right? No, there was. Yeah, yeah, there was. Yeah, there was. Which what, the, there was the walk video. Okay, I, I, I must not have it in my archives because I, I don't recall. Well, anyway, they were shot just as the same as 1999 album yeah. videos. Yeah. They were just con, you know rehearsal concert rehearsal type. stuff. Okay, yeah. and there were three Vanity Six videos, I believe. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah, I have all those. I just couldn't recall the the time, but uh, so uh, big sexy, nineteen eighty two. You know that was when I was working at uh, Linear Sound Systems and Performance Audio. I was doing you know the musician roadie thing, <clears throat> and I remember when the Rolling Stone came out with Prince and Vanity on the cover, and before that, my sister had gone to see the Triple Threat show at the Cow Palace. Now I was in the Prince, but I wasn't you know a Prince head, so I didn't go. And she came home around 1 a.m. just singing automatic. I'm like, the fuck did I miss? And so we talked about it, and she said it was great. She said the time stole the show. She said Vanity Six came out, you know, dead, nasty girl. He's so dull. A couple other things got off. Time blew it up. Prince came out and took it another direction. Um, also in the early 80s, this was when, and I'm a little older than you guys, but this was when people started to really get into aerobics and aerobicize. And I, would, I, of course, would go to, you know, look at women. And so I'm in this aerobicize class, and they just played the 1999 album, you know, the whole side one. Little Red Corvette, or 1999, Little Red Corvette, Delirious, boom. And we would just, you know, train to that. And then she'd put on side one of, what time is it? I'm like, let's go. 
let's go. And, and it was everywhere. And I remember seeing uh, in Oakland, there was like a, a little cable access channel called Soul Beat. And they showed nothing but R&B and soul. Nothing. And they showed a little bit of rock, but nothing but that. So I saw all those videos. You know, I would see the uh, He's So Dull clip. Because I had heard about Nasty Girl, but I'd never seen the video. And then when I saw the video, I'm like, okay, I'm going to marry Vanity. It's just that simple. <laughs> and then I saw He's So Dull. And then I saw, oh, what was the third one? Ah! Oh, Driving Wild. Driving Wild, thank you. Yeah, oh, yeah, Driving Wild. And, but I, I wanted to see a video for Wet Dream because that was the best song on the album to me. But it was just a good time. And then when you learn that all of this came from one mind in this one you know finite time period, you think, when does this man go to sleep? You know, he's recording him. He's recording the time. He's recording Vanity Six, playing it all himself. Then you got to shoot the videos and oversee all this. Whew. That's amazing. And the thing is, he would put on the albums produced by the Star Company. He never came out and said, yeah, I'm doing all this. I'm all that. No. No one knew unless you really knew. And I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, that is very interesting, actually. Because even he would give song credit you know, written by Morris Day or something like, you know, some of the, I think, like, uh, 779311. And it had nothing to do with it, right? But it's like, again, that's what I'm saying. I marvel at the fact that he made so many dope tracks at that point and was just here y'all i mean to make the time album by yourself for the most part and and when you have some dope musicians (laughs) like like those cats are filthy in their own right and just like here y'all go here you go learn it (laughs) (laughs) that's just crazy to me to just be able to cast it to one not want to say fuck that let me keep that let me do this. And, you know, the other question I have, do you think that the time, like Morris, particular, his characterization of who he was, was that like, I was not know how to answer this question. It was almost like, I wonder if Prince would have rather just adopted that himself. Like, you know, now he is like, you know, obviously uh, he is, he is that character when you get to around the world, and, uh, not around the world, but under the cherry moon and, sort of how he acts on stage now and, and then in the 80s, late 80s, he was Morris, basically. Like, all that stuff that Morris was doing, he's done that. Like, he starts to do that. And so he wouldn't give that song away anymore, like Pretty Man or any one of those songs. Like, you'd be like, that would be something Morris would do. But not now it's like Prince is not going to be the, um, you know, like in Purple Rain in 1999, he was sort of, he didn't talk a lot. And he didn't express that many different expressions, and he definitely didn't express the goofy sort of pimp expression. Where now he seems to, well, not now, but you know, diamonds and pearls and beyond, he, he seems to want to be a pimp or something like. But that was more sustained, and it was so successful. I wonder if he ever had any second thoughts to think, man, I should have, I should have just did that. Like, would that open me up? And then I think he does get to the point where he's like, you know, fuck that. I'm going to do mutiny. I'm going to do gross. I'm going to be that guy, you know, because it's successful. I see it work. You know, it's another lane for me. I, I don't know if you guys know what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I, I, I get what you're saying. I, but I think the, the, the 1999 Purple Rain persona for him at that time was perfect. I mean, there's even, you know, a lot of people even today still think that that's his persona. 
and I usually have to say, no, watch under the cherry moon if you can stand it. That's really what what Prince is more than than the Purple Rain guy. Uh, but I think it just he had already kind of built that um, mysterious motif so much that it kind of came to a head in Purple Rain, which I think helped sell the movie, sell the record. You know, who is this guy? What is he thinking? Because what he has maybe what ten lines of dialogue in in Purple Rain. You're getting really faint. I don't know if you're moving away from the mic or something. Oh, sorry. He has what about ten ten lines of dialogue in Purple Rain? You know, so and and it, again, it just fit with that that time frame in the in the in the at least the early part of the '80s. You know, versus the latter part where it was more excess uh, than anything else. Yeah, and it's interesting that when you look at Purple Rain, more shines almost steals that movie because he is that guy, right? Like, oh, he does still. That, that's what. That's what the part of it I'm saying is like that. He's so dangerous because they're both sort. They're playing totally different sides to it, and one is so likable you know, Morris and hilarious that you can't help. And he's supposed to be sort of the bad guy, but you can't help but like that. I mean, he's hilarious. He's funny. Yeah. He seems really yeah. real. And where Prince is playing that other sort of far away type of character and his only way he wins is because of he's Prince and the music and like it's sort of written for him to be the winner. But right. I think they both, it could have been easily written that Morris was the guy you more care about or at least like seem more somebody you want to hang out with. Uh, and then I think Prince sort of realized like, you know what, this next movie, I'm not going to play. It too. <laughs> like, yeah. Cause yeah. he, I can't, he's not going to win like that. Um, so it's just interesting that he's such a, and I think that maybe why on that triple threat tour, you know, he's getting to the point. He's like, yo, this shit is too much. Like the audience is going to respond to that guy way too much than I'm comfortable with. Yeah, he's got. I had to tone that shit down. Yeah, well, I kicked him off the New York tour, you know, for that uh, reason. Yeah, I, you know, I I actually <clears throat> saw the saw the tour, and I I can attest, even at even at a young age, I can attest that Morris, you know, definitely stole the show. The whole uh, table bit, and you know, bring the girl on stage, and and you know, have the the little romantic dinner with during uh, Gigolos Get Lonely too. Uh, that that brought the house down, you know, <laughs> and of course Prince at that time you know wouldn't dare do anything like that i mean i don't even remember him even talking to the audience other than you know the occasional you know how you doing and that kind of thing and and even the um the international lover you know bed sequence you know of course no girl present just you know him by himself so you know i i think you're right i think i think the, the time show just led itself to be more successful because it had more like more crowd in the action, interactions, more theatrics than than Prince's show. But you know, history has shown us, unfortunately, that without Prince to oversee that band, it will just it just disintegrate it. Well, look at them now. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, know, so. There's beefing now. I mean, the album came out. Jesse hates the album apparently, and you know they can't get along. You got too many people trying to run things, and yeah, I, but I, but I'd be curious. If then though they were allowed to do their own thing, would that have happened? I think yes. I think now that they've all had their own success, it's hard to grab guys who are now the kings of their own domain. To, That's true. That's but true. back then they were just starting. Nobody had any sort of big success. If they would have said, "I'm speculating," but you know, you have Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis in that group who go on to be you know one of the greatest 
producers of the game, period. Obviously, you got Jesse, Morris. I mean, these guys are all dope. They were dope before they came in the band, right? So I can only imagine. And then, you know, Jamie Lewis is side producing hits on the side, right? Which I'm sure is not helping the situation. But I just think that if they would have been said, you know what, y'all go go ahead. I would have been interesting to see what would have came out of that. I think they would have been even more successful. I think it would have been more of a problem for Prince, though. He would have probably just had to let them go, like, y'all go. Because I think they would have blown him down. They at least gave him pause as they gave him pause. And if they would have just been unrestrained and you would have had, you know, the guys contributing some of the work, you may not have seen certain songs and stuff go to other artists and they would have just been their own. You know, it, to me, if Prince would have said, look, y'all do what you want to do. I just got to get paid off everything you do. He could have had the biggest, the really big, the biggest empire movement, period. Like, he would have had it all in-house. Um, Vanity Six. What do, you, what do you guys think about Vanity Six? Like The, the album or just the whole... Just the whole thing. The whole thing. Well, one of the things that I remember them from uh, the show that I that I saw, this the the sound was terrible in in the venue. Couldn't understand a word they said, and I don't think anybody cared as long as they were wearing what they were wearing. <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> but as far as them as a group, I know uh, I just recently saw their Soul Train appearance. Uh, and they were being interviewed by by uh, Don, and uh, you know they were they were perpetrating the lie. Which, uh, knowing now, it's almost like you could tell that that Vanity isn't being honest. You know, Don's like, you know, you, you ladies are putting together quite a sound there. Yeah, you know, we're in Minneapolis, and you know, we go into the studio, and you never know what's gonna you know happen. I'm like, no, you're not doing anything but singing off guy vocals you're not you're not creating you're not creating any of the music but you know but again it was just that was the time and and that was what they were told to do hey you know you do not prince is not involved as far as the public knows prince is not involved in this you you ladies are are putting together the music and playing and you know all that good stuff so you know what's funny (laughs) the way you just described that which is totally accurate that is the exact thing that people have a problem with today and criticize. But it was Prince who, I'm not saying he's the first one to do it, but he did that. Yeah. You know, he's basically doing, he's not doing a CC Music Factory because that is her singing on the record. But he's just getting a person who looks great, damn near got her naked, and just sing on this. You know, you don't know anything. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're doing. You know, you have no creative input. You don't play. You don't even write. But we just need a fine ass girl to market this. Yeah. Here you go. And the thing is, he's right because at the time, Vanity was Prince's girlfriend, right? Yeah. Yeah, and she okay. was originally going to be with Rick James. Wow. That's what you know. Yeah, Vanity got around too. We'll get to that in a minute, but. The other two, I don't know where he got Susan from, but Brenda is the girl. lighting. Susan was his girl. I thought Valley was his girl. Or was he just pimping like Prince we talking about? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's, Susan was his real girl from the back in the day. You know, like that was his girl girl. And Brenda was the lighting guy's wife. Just yeah. right place at the right time. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. 
but I must say, uh, as far as the album goes, it's it's actually you know it's a good album. It's it's more new wavy than it, oh, yeah. I think it oh, yeah. probably owns a lot more to to kind of dirty mind ish than than anything else. Uh, one of not really my favorite song on there uh, per se, but just one that makes me go. Just it, I call it the head scratcher. Uh, is makeup that 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 keyboard sequence that that drum machine programming. He's that's probably I won't say it's most unique, but it's something that he had never really done before. That I mean, that song is one hundred percent new wave. I've forgotten about that song. <laughs> it's a terrible song. I mean, Susan's <laughs> vocals are terrible, but just that opening that that and then I mean, that is just, I mean, I, we know Prince didn't really partake, but how do you even, how does a sane person come up with that? You know, but again, I guess it was that time and New Wave sound was in, but I mean, that's probably the most un-Prince-like song back then in, that, in his catalog, definitely. Let Ooh. me throw a curve at you guys, because uh, right around that same time, Rick James did the same thing. You know, Rick had the Mary Jane Girls album out, the Stone City Band had their album out. He was working with a band called Process and the, and the Do-Rags. They had a little single out. There was a lot of stuff coming out of that guy, man. Well, they were in direct competition with each other, and it was not coincidental that they both had the girl group. Wow. Uh, was- but I think the difference I think the difference is that uh, Rick's involvement with, with the different groups wasn't a secret, whereas Prince's involvement was. I, you know, it was up front that it was, you know, Rick James pulling the string behind the Mary Jane Brick Girls and the, and the and the Stone City Band. So I think that may be, I mean, it's it's a difference, maybe not be too much, but but I think that that maybe has something to do with the different maybe levels of success that that each had. Yeah, de- definitely possibility. You know, it's like I said, it was the first time where he just really came with it on all facets to say he didn't put his name on it which you brought up is interesting point so that's not claiming that i'm this big producer but looking back at it you can see like this is where he really flexed and said let me i'm gonna step out beyond just my shit and even beyond the time like i'm gonna do a girls group now personally i i don't really like the vanity six album i like the song nasty girls and then i like if a girl answers to me that song is it's crazy uh, I just like the music and, and it's, it's hilarious to me. Like, yeah. That's something I would saw on the Times record or something. Like I'm like, I wish he would have just loaded the Vanity Six with a little bit more jams and let it stand on its own instead of just the one blow away song. But again, he's not stupid. He he knows like really all I got to do is just give him one slam jam and they'll ride that. But yeah. you know what you just mentioned? The two songs that you both mentioned are the funk songs. The rest of the songs are, are new wave. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I, I and I don't think that that that's by accident. I, I think that was I think that that was intentional. Well, I think it was too. I think it was a miscalculation because again, it didn't. I don't think it worked. It, the uh, only song we really remember is "Nasty Girl." Well, I I, I mean, I saying just, in terms of what was released, and, song too. well, I'm, I'm saying in terms of it being, you know, did it pick up any steam? Did it really become? Most people, you can say Nasty Girl, and oh, yeah. everybody knows that. That was the hit, right? I just right. think he should have had more, like, slam-bam hits. I think he was taking more of a chance on that record, but he probably didn't care. It was like, well, it's just a girl group thing. Yeah. They don't do shit anyway. 
Well, yeah, I mean, he, he, you know, he probably had all, you know, these, well, he had all these ideas, you know, again, with the new wave influence, but it wasn't fitting what he was doing at the time. Yeah, there's, there's actually a, an article that came out uh, a couple of days ago, or well, a couple of weeks ago online on Pop Matters, and it says, Dirty Minds Think Alike, the Forgotten Rivalry of Prince and Rick James. Yeah, yeah, and, I, I read some of that. And they even go they, they have videos from the mary jane girls and uh, vanity and stuff you kind of see the similarities but um i would say and i think obviously at the end of the day prince sort of won that battle uh, uh but and then so in 1982 you know this really he breaks through right he you know mtv opens up he breaks through through there he starts to have these pop hits and starts to, you know, that tour, the 1999 tour, takes a second leg and goes out again, right? And they sort of switch the sweat set list a little bit to make sure that Little Red Corvette and those things are prominent and really milk that and, and open it out to bigger audiences. Um, which, again, it's, it sets the stage for the next thing, which is Purple Rain and... I think everyone at this point has had a chance to solidify their persona. Like, we know what Morris is. We know what Prince is. We even know what Vanity is, but then Vanity leaves, and they just bring in another face to just be Vanity, really, just to feel that persona, you know? So, yeah, that was, I I just think that's an, an amazing period for Prince, and one, I still feel as if, you know, musically just untouchable, like the the wealth of quality and the quantity of music that he put out was incredible because they all had cuts. Two of the albums I heralded as the better albums he's ever made, you know, is, it, it captures the sound and he killed it. Like to me, the time second record musically and the playing He's never played anything better than that, in my opinion. Just and the fact that it's all him. Like when I hear the walk, and you get to that part where Prince says, "I'm a meet," or when Morris like, "I meet you," at the, ah! and the music kicks in, and yeah. you just—I mean, you just listen to <laughs> that is incredible playing. Like this is madness. Yeah, it's funny. You, no, sorry, it's funny you mentioned the, the playing. My favorite playing on on the album, at least, is the uh, the breakdown or the chant section on uh, Wild and Loose, and Prince's mm-hmm. drumming on that mm-hmm. is just. I mean, it, and it's not even. It's not like great great drumming, but it stands out. It just it just lifts the track up. And I, I usually I'll give I'll say to people, listen to this as an example of of his great drum playing. I mean, I could probably find something better than that but i just it just so kind of just gives an idea of what he was capable of doing it's not showy but it's funky it is so in the pocket and he's playing with himself all the parts it's almost uncanny like it can't possibly be him playing all this because how do you get in the pocket like that with yourself it's just weird to me (laughs) and it reminds me the other musically one that i can compare that is the same quality to me as that that album is the Madhouse 8. Like the yeah. playing that he plays on the drums and the keyboards and all that stuff is just so in sync with each other. You, if, if you knew nothing about it and you just said, man, here, check these out. This is a dope band. You'd yeah. believe it was a band. Yeah. yeah. One thing about the Time album, and both Time albums actually, 
<clears throat> is that Prince let the songs exist in their full, you know, delivery because they were all like six, seven minutes long, and yeah. a couple were like ten minutes long on the first album, and you don't see that anymore. And I, I thought that was just genius because you, know, you let all of Wild and Loose play. I'm like, yeah, there you go. Let the whole thing play. Yeah. And, you know, no one was doing that back then. Yeah. Well, in 1999 albums like that, too, like those songs. Well, that's a double album, too, yeah. For the most part, they're pretty long. long. Uh, and then, the, again, I just shout out and I'll let somebody else. The other, just the gem of the Time album, and it, it could be more of a Prince song. I could see it, too, is, um, damn it, now the name just escapes me. Uh, I don't want to leave you. Yeah, I don't want to leave you. Uh, how did I guess? Like, we, <laughs> I, I still I play that hard to this day. I gave my girlfriend just a couple weeks ago. She was just singing that song over and over and over because this is like that's one of those songs like you you never really heard, and then when you you're just like, this is dull. Like, what, what, what album is this from? That always everybody just goes, what album is this? You know why why didn't we hear this? This is just incredibly. It's a great freaking song. Like that's just one of those songs like. Man, again, if they would have had the opportunity to be more spotlighted and they had the videos and different things, that could have been a hit. That would have just been one of them classic little R&B hits, and it had been a classic one, and people still would play to this day. All right, explain the edit. <laughs> there is no explanation. <laughs> Can anybody explain that edit? <laughs> look that song up and look up the word Questlove. He spoke on that once where he asked Prince about that, and I'm a paraphrase if I remember correctly. I don't think he had an answer for him. It was just like, just that's what he did. He didn't really know what we were doing. Like, you know, just cut it together and we just put it out. But he, so I, I think he asked him that question. Like, what, what was going on with that? I mean, sometimes I'll listen to it and I'll go, did that just, I, I, you, would, you would always think your record was skipping. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and even like the first couple of times I got on CD, I was listening to it. I was like, oh, oh, yeah, that's right. That's a, that's supposed to sound like that. But you would think, you know, the perfectionist that he is, that he would, you know, let something that, that obvious, that and uh, that little beep sound that occurs on Love Sexy, the, you know, those two things just, you guys know what I'm talking about with on the Love Sexy, right? Uh, what song? Love the song "Love Sexy." Oh, it goes. Be I always think yeah. that's something intentional, but see, I don't. It, I don't know. It just. It just. It's just one little <laughs> beep that does it. It's like someone pushed a button, and you know that that sound came out. He's. Oh, I like it. Keep it. Kind of like you know, uh, Ballad Dorothy Parker or or uh, Fausher or Forever My Life. You know, one of those happy accidents. But it's just on. I don't want to leave you. That groove just it just is grooving, and all of a sudden it just uh, goes, you know, like an abrupt change. Yeah, it's and, like somebody cut the quarter inch tape and just slapped something else. It didn't. It doesn't. It's not on beat. There's no transition. It's just a straight. Shoop. Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. But I, <laughs> yeah, I think it's hilarious. I, I, you know, and I'm so used to it now. I always kind of want to hear what that other groove is like. Yeah. yeah, and like I said, just you know, just with the perfectionist like that, it just doesn't seem like that. It, that's something that he would have let go on there, you know. But who knows? Yeah. All right. Any final thoughts on this? We wrap it up. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So there you go. Uh, just, just, just a good, a good con- discussion about that. Nineteen eighty-two. We'll, we'll go in depth a little bit on another show. Uh, we'll actually look at uh, and review one of the concerts uh, from that era. There's a quite a good ones out there. Uh, with that, we want to thank you guys for listening. And before we go, 
How can they find you, Mr. Sean Hill? Oh, wow. They can find me on Facebook uh, under two ways. You can find me, Sean Hill, S-E-A-N. Also uh, on The Real Movie Talk, and that's R-E-E-L. Also on Twitter, at Hill Street Views. And uh, Instagram also at Sean Hill. All right. Big Sexy Inside. I can be found on Facebook myself and on Twitter under Big Sexy Insect. All right, and Pooh. Find me on Instagram and Twitter uh, at Pooh, as well as um, 401 Mania with my weekly comic column as knockoutnation.com. All right, and you can find me on Twitter, M. Dean. Of course, Facebook, Michael Dean. You can find me here Facebook, me, at podcastjuice.net. Uh, please follow our show. Uh, subscribe on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. And with that, we will see you next time. Peace. <laughs>